Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast, which explores the worlds of sci-fi and fantasy books through those who bring them to life. Every week, we chat with authors and industry pros about their books, including new releases and old favorites. I'm Lauren Zurchin with the Ink Feather Collective, and this is episode 56, where I chat with author Lynette Noni. Hi, guys. It's been a while. Um, I took about six months off uh, this year, and it was a rough year for a lot of people. The pandemic is still going, and I... Um, Pardon the birds in the background, by the way. I'm just recording a quick intro in my main area of my house and the birds are n- nearby. So there's lots of chatting going on. Um, yeah, this year has been even harder for me than last year. And I had some health stuff that happened in April. Um, I had some other things that happened over the summer and I just needed to take some personal time. Um, but we're back and I am planning on um, creating different systems so that I can actually make sure the podcast happens every week consistently. Um, And so, yeah, I am really excited to be back. So I was a little worried about this interview being time relevant because Lynette and I recorded it actually back in the spring before I took my unexpected break, uh, right when The Prison Healer came out. But I checked and The Gilded Cage, the sequel to it, just came out like a week and a half ago. So if you're curious about her books and you haven't read any, this is still a good interview. And even if you have read book one and or book two, it's still a really good conversation about the creation of the world, why she did the magic systems the way she did, the ideas, all of that. So it just gives you a little more insight into the series and how she formed it. So it is still relevant. It is still an excellent interview. I had a ton of fun chatting with Lynette. She's really cool. And these books are great. Um, Yeah, like I said, stay tuned. Uh, We're going to be here every week, hopefully, for the foreseeable future. Um, Next week, I have an interview with uh, Cade from Hey Atlas Creative, um, talking about what it's like having a shop, uh, a bookish shop. And uh, yeah, Cade is very cool and he's a friend of mine. So uh, that's coming to you next week. And then I've got some awesome authors lined up for the near future. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything yet, but um, stay tuned because we definitely have some really cool things on the books. But for now, let's go into our chat with Lynette Noni about The Prison Healer. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Lynette. Welcome to the Ink Feather podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you. We're here to talk about your new book, The Prison Healer, which just came out last week in the States, April 13th, and in the UK. And then it was been out a, l- a couple weeks longer in Australia, where you're from. But this is kind of your American debut. You've got other books under your belt, but this is like a, your first one with a bigger, uh, I don't want to say bigger, but an American publisher. That was a little <laughs> American of me to say. Sorry about that. <laughs> but no, this is, I was excited. I, I, you know, when I do this podcast, I'm always like looking through books and upcoming books. And I just came across I have a friend who actually got the box with this book in it, like one of your promotional boxes. And I was like, wow, that looks really cool. And as soon as I looked it up, everything sounded awesome. And I reached out immediately. And I'm so glad we could set this up. So I'm excited to talk today. Me too. (laughs) So I guess before we dig in, since this is sort of your American debut, and you said you were published in Canada before, right before we started recording here, but you've been published before in Australia, you have a, like a handful of books under your belt. So what's this publishing journey been like coming to like different countries? Does it feel different? Is it is it the same system that you're used to? Like, kind of take us through this newer, different publishing journey. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, journey is a very good word for what it mm. is. If we go back in time, I was a slush pile author. So my very first book, it was, I was kind of, I was pitching during a time where, especially in Australia, agents weren't really accepting authors unless they were published and publishers weren't accepting authors unless they had an agent. And so there was kind of no real way to get into the industry. And so it took me, I think, three years from the point where I decided to, you know, try and get published before I was actually offered a deal. And then when I was offered a deal, it was with a small Australian independent publisher. And and they were really incredible. They they really believed in championing new Australian voices. So they put a lot of backing behind getting me out into, you know, different events around Australia and and getting my books out there and and known around, you know, locally. And and so by about my I think by about my third 
book. So about three years into it, I, I hit the, you know all the bestseller lists over here and I kind of became the number one Australian young adult author. And that then continued over the rest of that series and then my other series, which came out in tandem at the same time. But I still wasn't really, I was still very, you know, limited to Australia in that sense. And then my second series, which uh, kind of really helped put me on the map over here as well. That was picked up by a Canadian publisher and also by some European publishers and some other foreign territories. And and that was really cool to sort of suddenly be, I guess, inching globally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was really nerve-wracking but also really exciting. Once those two series kind of came to an end and I wrote The Prison Healer, I also got a new – a new so, sorry, in, in between that time I got an agent in the States and that's prior to getting that Canadian publisher deal and those other foreign territories. But then fast forward and I um, split ways with my that agent and I came on to with a new agent in early 2019 and that's when I wrote The Prison Healer. And so kind of from that – it was kind of, I guess everything kind of exploded, like everything I had built up until that point. By then I was quite solidly at number one over here and, and I'd made some great, like really great connections in the industry and, and all of that kind of helped build into this series. And I'd learned a lot and my writing had developed and, and well, I hope, I hope, <laughs> I hope, I hope I get better with each book. I'll always be learning and I'll always be growing, but The Prison Healer was kind of, you know, I put everything I'd learned into that book. And uh, suddenly it went to auction in the States and it went to auction over here and it went to auction in multiple territories all around the globe, preamps. And it was just suddenly it was just this huge, big thing. And, um, and it was incredible and so surreal. And, and so now, you know, I'm really close with my original Australian publishers, but I'm now with a different, I'm now with Penguin Random House in Australia and uh, HMH Teen in the States and Hoda like uh, uh, in the UK. And, and it's just, yeah, it's, that's, you know, that's a very kind of fast forward thing, but it's, it's been incredible and it's, I still have to kind of pinch myself. <laughs> wow. That's really cool to hear the evolution too, because it sounds like, I feel like we, we don't hear these stories as often because you, people want to think of like, you know, breakout star from the beginning. And it's like, no, it's also like I write books and then they get out there and I slowly gain an audience and then they get better, hopefully, and hopefully more people like them. And, you know, it's cool. And obviously, you know, finding the right people to work with. And I'm sure, you know, like changing agents. I've, I'm have i good friends with an agent. And, you know, it's just interesting talking about like finding that connection because it's, it's like a relationship, you know, <laughs> like so find, yeah, finding a good one and finding one that is a good balance for you. And, and yes, it's really cool to hear kind of the evolution of this. And, and, you know, as a reader, The Prison Healer was really enjoyable to read. It was easy to read. I, you know, I, it wasn't hard for me to like come back to. I was like, yeah, I get to read some more. So, I mean, I, I am curious. I do want to like check out your other books. I feel like I can get them digitally. It looks like over here. I was just, because the story sounds interesting. You have like your, your big series was like in a magical world. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But it was like realism because it was a person from our world. And it's always, that always, fun stories for me. But like, you know, it was fun reading this and getting to experience this story. And I really liked it a lot. It was fun to read. So yay. Like you were you were like, I don't know if I'm doing it. Like I enjoyed it. I read a lot. So I was like, this is it was not hard to read by any means. Ah, awesome. Thank you for that. I I very much appreciate hearing it. (laughs) You're welcome. So kind of take us through the prison healer, like before we dig into it, do you have like a elevator pitch for it or a way you kind of describe the book to people who maybe um, are listening but haven't read it? Yeah, sure. So basically, The Prison Healer is about a 17-year-old girl who has been locked in a death prison for the last 10 years. And when she's finally given the chance to earn her freedom, the cost could be her very life. So throw in like a rebel queen and some magical elemental trials and a charming and persistent love interest and a lovable young assistant and a surly but protective guard and a a plague. I apologize to everyone. I wrote it before COVID, I promise. That was unfortunate timing. And so all those things kind of mashed together to make it. I actually had one reviewer, they they said, uh, they, came up, they, they came up with the best elevator pitch and I feel like stealing it. And they said, it's essentially the Hunger Games, but set in a prison with royals, rebels and magic. And so that's in a nutshell. <laughs> that's a very good description. Yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting. I was thinking about this when I was like setting up my questions and being like, you know, especially having, like I said, I haven't read your other books, but like reading the like the descriptions on them and like the general concept, I was like, what was it like 
writing a book was such a limiting world in this in the as as an immediacy like she's in a prison and it's like this is it like she's in the infirmary and she's in her cell like that is basically where she is and like you have to tell an interesting and intriguing story i mean obviously stuff happens and she's you know but even even still when the things are happening she's you know in the prison <laughs> you know so how was that like that must have been a really interesting shift yeah, I mean, I really wanted to challenge myself going into this book. So it's my ninth published book. So as you mentioned, I have a six book series and that is set in a secondary fantasy world with a main character who's from our world and finally find, finds herself stranded there. And so in this fantasy world, I got to create an entire world. And beyond that, in like the final book, you also go to another world. And so I got to, there was, it was so expansive and I could just, you know, let my imagination go wild. Mm. In my second mm. series, which is called Whisper, um, that's a duology. And it's set in our real world and set in in Sydney, in Australia. And that was, I found that really limiting because even though there is magic in this book, it's kind of like a, I don't know, dystopian kind of fantasy-ish, sci-fi-ish kind of, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I still, to this day, I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> but I was really limiting in the sense that, you know, I couldn't just up and move the Sydney Harbour Bridge if I wanted to. And so, whereas in like a fantasy world, I could probably do something like that. And so mm-hmm. I knew, I knew I wanted to come into whatever I wrote next in another secondary world because I really did love writing that. And I was really heavily inspired to write it inside the prison. And so I did have to sort of take a step back and be like, how do I create a world in such a limited space? And I really, I really, really enjoyed it. So, you know, it is essentially its own little bubble you know you've got but you've got places like so you have the infirmary where kiva is most of the time and the cell block and but there's also because of this plague that's going around that she has to try and solve the problem of as the healer you know she goes out to the other places so that you know it's a labor camp so there are quarriers who work in the quarry and there are tunnelers who work in these tunnels beneath the prison to create a water source because they're digging water for the prison and there's you know the lumber yard and there is you know there's all these different places there's the abyss which is the punishment block so there's all these I guess instead of writing a new city or a river or a mountain or a, you know, choose your fantasy element, you know, kind of thing, I had different parts of the prison. And even at the beginning of the book, there are two absolutely stunning maps that were designed by Francesca Bayerald. And so one of them is a map of the prison and it, you know, it is Mm. like its own little city. And then the other is a map of the world or of of the continent of the seven different kingdoms that create Wenderall. And so you get a lot more of that in the subsequent books. But yeah, I just, I mean, that's a really long-winded answer. No, but that's exactly what I wanted to know. Like the only other book that I could think of that I've read in the many years of reading fantasy is Incarceron, which I don't know if you have read that or have heard of Catherine Fisher, but it's basically like the prison's alive. And so like it changes and it like hates the prisoners and tries to like kill them all the time. <laughs> it's, it's a wild ride that, that there's a, it's a duology. It's really good. And that came out. God, years ago. And it's a totally different feel, but it's the only book I could like remotely think of. I was like where where the isolation of the prison was the was the world and and like this thinking about what that would be like and what that would be like as as someone creating. It's like, you know, not just making it interesting, but like you said, like you have all these elements, but and it, you know, it's just a city, but yet at the end of the day, it it is a prison. (laughs) Like, so how do you (laughs) convey both of those things? You know what I mean? So it's really interesting. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, I don't know, I just, I just kind of, uh, I I guess, you know, to use a Shrek quote, you know, um, ogres are like onions, we have layers. So I kind of just <laughs> layered it as much as I could. And, and I, you know, I brought all, you know, the five senses into it. I, I dug deep into, mm. especially like the emotional and mental trauma of being in a death prison and all yes. of that kind of you know, built onto it as well. So it wasn't just like a, you're not just seeing the prison as it is these, you know, uh, this hexagonal kind of place that you're stuck in, but the actual feel of it. And I don't know, I just, I just kind of stretched it as far as I could. Mm. Well, and it didn't feel like it definitely, like I said, it felt like a prison because, you know, we are in her head. But yeah, I just was, I was like, that must have been an interesting writing challenge, I guess, was kind of the main thing that I was thinking because like like you said, you are even though you're creating the world and you have freedom, you're also creating boundaries that you can't go beyond. You know what I'm saying? So I just thought that I thought that must have been an interesting thing. One of the other things I was thinking about, and I I find this really an interesting thing to think about too, because when you think of fantasy, right? Or sci-fi, you know, we have these these tropes and these 
definitions of how we define those genres. And, you know, usually magic is a good indicator of a fantasy book. Not always, but that is often a thing that manifests somehow. And it is in yours, but it's not in the immediacy of our of our main characters. Like, you know, it's it's kind of this ambiguous, like, oh, the royals have it. And it's, yeah, that's a thing that they can do. And here's a story of how magic came to be, but it's only in the royal bloodline. And they can, you know, some people can sort of heal and some people can manipulate the elements, but it's not like... Like, I could do that. There's even a conversation like with her little helper buddy where he was like, hopefully, like, maybe I could do that. And she was like, yeah, dude, that's not (laughs) not happening. Sorry. I mean, obviously, there are anomalies and that's discussed. And I mean, you know, the story has that's relevant to the story, but just the idea of it not being front and center, I guess, as as a writing a fantasy. You know, this girl is just a girl doing her thing in the prison where she shouldn't necessarily be. And she just happens to know healing stuff thanks to her dad that she helped when she was a kid. And so and she, you know, informs the head guy who the who's in charge to about, you know, to kind of save her own life and that's her life. And, uh, but like magic's this ambiguous thing. So I, I was, I was curious, especially like, you know, we were talking about your other series, like full blown, like, hi, I'm in a magical world. Hello. How was it like having the magic be, I don't want to say on the back burner, but like in the, in the peripheral edges of the story? Yeah, that's a really great question. I guess, I mean, magic is tricky, right? Like magic is one of those things where in a fantasy book, if you're not careful, it doesn't make sense. You have to really, you have to give it limitations and you have to, you have to give it rules. And otherwise, otherwise there are too many limits, sorry, too many lack of limits, I guess I could say like, you know, to, I'm like, I'm trying to think of an example that isn't Harry Potter, but it's the only magic kind of thing that's coming to my mind immediately and so like even with that they have wands that channel the magic and they have to still learn spell work they can't just instantly be good at what they're doing and so uh, even in my other magical series which is called the Midoran Chronicles even that the first couple of books are still very focused on science as magic so they you know the end chemistry as magic it's only in the later books where you kind of meet other races that actually can do what is magic? And even then the main character's like, I thought actual magic didn't exist here. And so even with that one, it was still on the back burner for a while and I built oh, up to cool. it. And cool. Yeah. And so, I, cause I wanted to do something a bit different and same with the prison healer. And so I think it's, it's kind of like, so I should preface this by saying it's nearly midnight where I am right now. So my, my analogies might, might not make sense, but it's kind of like <laughs> when you put a, you know, that, that saying where you put a frog in a, a pot of water and you warm it up slowly mm. and then the frog doesn't realize it's being cooked. I kind of feel like I try to do that with my magic so that the reader is learning about the rules as you're kind of going into it rather than suddenly being overwhelmed by something and having to learn it all from the very beginning and, and, and comprehend it. I like to kind of flesh it out as I go along and make it, you know, and, and roll with it and build on it. And, but also because it's like one of those things where if someone is instantly very good at something, then, then where can they go with character growth? And so I think with, so like if they're suddenly an amazing fighter and they've never picked up a sword in their life, like it's one of my pet peeves. I just Me don't... too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm, I mean, I always, it's, I hate to say this, but the trend and I, and I say this with love in, in books that have this in a lot of wonderful ways, but it's always like an assassin. She's always like an assassin. I'm like, how are you killing people? You don't even know what you're doing. Like what is happening? How are you feeling? 15 and you're an assassin like I don't understand so I totally agree with that (laughs) thank you I I just it's something that I've always felt probably because like you I've read a lot of books where I and you and it happens and you're like no like if I picked up a weapon right now I would probably stab myself by accident like I just I wouldn't know what I'm doing and so that actually presented a big problem for me for my my other series, The Medoran Chronicles, because the main character is suddenly in this world and she's in this, um, she's at this kind of school that's like in this fantasy world and um, and she's put in this combat class and she doesn't, she's she's got no idea what she's doing. So in that's the first hysterical. day, like she gets knocked out. And, and that was purely because every book I was reading at the time was instant warrior, you know, instant assassin, instant fantastic at everything. And I was like, yeah, nah, I'm just going to have a normal girl who has to learn like a normal girl. But in The Prison Healer, it's similar, like, I mean, this isn't really a spoiler, but in the second book, Kiva, the main character, is in a situation where she has to defend herself against, you know, with a weapon. And 
you know, and she's literally like, I'm a healer. Like I don't, I don't stab people. Like this isn't what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I never wanted her to, to take on that mantle. And so bringing it back to the magic thing, you know, in the same way it has to, the whole way along, I didn't want it to be suddenly everyone was good at this thing and it was everywhere. I wanted it to be like a, a growth thing across the series and, and that will continue over, over all three of the books. Well, and and even with the growth, though, it's still like it's not like the fantasy books, which, again, I like reading these if they're done well. And and oftentimes they can be done well, where it's like there's everyone has magic, but there's different kinds of magic or like we all, you know, so it's like it's very rare and isolated incidents if, if it's not the royals. And, you know, and so it's like a thing that we don't even see it until like a third of the way through the book when there's like one of the trials that are, they talked about in the, and you know, I, I feel like I safe say talking about that because it's in the, like the blurb of the book, but like yeah. basically there are these like elemental trials and you know, the first one is air and like the, <laughs> they like lift her up out of the fly her up to a tower. And uh, it's like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> it's crazy. I was like, and it was not. Unexp- I was like, okay, what is happening? Wow, this is cool. Yeah, but yeah, I, I actually checked because I was, you know, I, th- I think about these questions as I'm reading, and I think it was like a hundred and something, not like hundred in the teens, one ten or something, and it's like a three hundred page book. So I was like, all right, cool. So we're like a third of the way in, and we're only seeing, like, physically seeing the magic now, and it was barely even spoken of, really, because there was more immediate pressing matters to our main character who is in a death prison. You know, she doesn't care about people who can manipulate air; she's just trying to survive. So I just found that interesting as someone who's, you know, you're writing a fantasy book, and so just like how to how we define that and. And how we, you know, put those boundaries in place. I just, I thought that was an interesting way to go about it, I guess. Yeah, I think probably, I don't think I actually had conscious thought into it. But if I had to look back and and, mm. and try and delve into what I was thinking, it would be the fact that so few people in that world have any kind of magical power. Like you said, it's the royals. Um, the Valentis family has elemental magic. The quarantine family, who is the opposite, like the rebel side of the throne, like eons ago, they had healing magic. Once upon a time, a quarantine was married to a Valentis. And so, you know, the, the ruling monarchs had, both healing magic and elemental magic and then they split and you know that's that's kind of the historical basis of it and so now it's only you know and the and there's really no one left in the quarantine side of the family except for the rebel queen who is now in this prison but she's very very sick and so she doesn't have any kind of magic and so the assumption you know is that it's just elemental magicians and they're just purely in that one family aside from as you said before these things called anomalies which are people who are out in the rest of the world who might they're, they're, they're kind of a legend like no one's actually met um, an anomaly. And and the way I'm saying this now for anyone listening, they're like, oh, Kiva, clearly the main character is an anomaly. And no, that's, you know, that's that's not actually true. So I'm not giving away anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, people uh, be like, oh, healer, come on. Like, it's too yeah, obvious. Exactly. No. Like, you know, that's got to be it. But no, that's that's not the case there. You know, there's a lot more of like the royal side of the elemental magic in this book. Again, Kiva is not a Valentis. She's not an elemental royal. I'm not giving anything away here. But there's, you know, because there is so few of these people, you know, that you can actually meet in real life, it's not an immediate concern to Kiva or to anyone else in the prison there. Their day-to-day concern is surviving. It's it's the elements against them, as in the non-magical elements, as in like the weather and and the temperature and having no food and 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 working in this labor place. And I mean, most people die within weeks of arriving. Kiva just happens to have managed to survive for those 10 years by spying on the others and by being, you know, the the mundane healer. And so, yeah, so magic isn't in the periphery of their, of their environment. And so, so it doesn't really, until those trials come in, it's not even really a thing that they would even consider talking about. So yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking back to my questions here too. And I, I didn't even think about this when I was starting, but like, how, how did this idea for the book even come about? I hate that question, but I'm really just sitting here thinking like, I don't mean like, where do you get your ideas? But like, where, like, it's such an interesting premise. Like, I'm sitting here going like, she's in a death prison. There's magical trials, but magic isn't in the prison. Like, it's such an interesting concept. Like, I'm just curious, did did your mind just kind of wander into this and went, like, how did it, how did you get to this, the, the, the beginnings, I guess? 
Yeah, well, there was actually a couple of things that inspired the story and and helped it evolve to where it was. One of them was at the beginning of 2019. I was traveling and I met a a young woman just in passing and she had grown up in a war-torn, impoverished nation and she just told me briefly about uh, her story about how when she was a teenager, her dad dad was seen shaking hands with a member of an opposing religious faction and that was a huge no-no where she lived and because the two religions were very, very, very warring. And so the like the actual like political hierarchy of the nation came after him and sent him to prison. But they also came for her entire family. And she was like she was you know I said she was a teenager. I think she must have been about fifteen, sixteen. So they took her and her mother and her sisters oh into a different prison. They were in like a political prison. Her dad was in a torture prison. I think she had some brothers that managed to escape. And they were like, this is such a misunderstanding. We will be out of here in a day. You know, surely this this is. All he did was shake hands. This is, this is, you know, we don't know if our dad's okay. We have no idea what's happening. But anyway, they were in there for five years. And, oh, my um, God. Yeah. And so when she told me, just like just the injustice of her story really wow. struck me. But also um, she just had incredible agency. Like her, her mom and her sisters, they kind of gave up. But she, you know, she taught herself English while she's in there and she got part of like a law degree and she buddied up to the guards so that they would give them preferential favour. And so she was just really smart about it. And, and you know, during that time they had no idea if if, if her dad was okay or, or if her other siblings were okay or they, they knew nothing. But they survived and they got out and they, they fled the country they're now elsewhere and but anyway and so I was I was traveling and her story just really really struck me and just really yeah yeah, just you know I just you know when you just left with a feeling wow my jaw's like on the floor I'm just like holy crap I mean that that's a sorry I'm I know that's like a bit of not a veer off of the story because I asked that it's relevant but wow that what a what a crazy wow that's crazy anyways continue (laughs) just I, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it obviously it it stayed with me, and 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 it's the kind of thing that you know when you're traveling and you kind of have to then just jump onto the next thing, jump onto the next plane, jump onto the next whatever, and you just kind of where wherever you've been just kind of fades a bit. Mm. And so you know, her story did stay with me, but it wasn't so much the story as as the feelings that it had evoked in me, and mm-hmm. and just that sense of just how how incredibly fortunate I've been to grow up where I am without you know without having to worry about whose hand I shake, uh, except for during COVID, in which case you shouldn't shake at all but you know what I mean like it's that kind of thing where um but then fast forward um so I kind of I didn't I didn't forget about it but it was never like I'm gonna write a story about this like that was never even even a flashing thought in my brain but six months later I was doing a book tour and I was over in Western Australia at a uh, a literary festival called Scribblers and it's a schools festival and so it was really fun um fun name (laughs) Had a great name. There was some. I mean, we had some great authors come. So like Neil Schusterman came, and oh, cool. I got to hang out with him, and and some just just a lot of fun. And um and I had a day off between my scheduled appearances, and um and everyone just kept telling me. All the locals kept saying, "You need to go out to Fremantle Prison," and I just kept thinking, you know. Who recommends something like a prison to someone for a day trip? Like, I don't understand why people keep telling me to do this. <laughs> but, and like, do I look like the kind of person who's just going to go and hang out? I, I mean, <laughs> America has Alcatraz and that is a thing. Like my sister, it's in off of San Francisco. And my sister and I, when the, we were on a road trip and we were driving through and we were like, crap, we forgot about Alcatraz. We couldn't get tickets. It had been booked out for months. Like you have to like reserve your spot months in advance. Like we couldn't go and it was, we could see it, but like across the water. But yeah. Like that is a thing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, think about all the like murder podcasts and stuff. Like That's people true. are into death and torture. I don't know what it's just, I don't know if it's part of our human condition. Like it makes us feel more alive i don't know what it is but i I get what you're saying it is weird to be like let's go look where people were i actually when i i lived in south africa for a couple years and i was traveling around with a friend and we stayed in a prison it was like a like a like a hotel and like we stayed in a prison cell you could see where people had carved into the walls oh that's a little morbid now that i think about it so i mean you know people do weird stuff I guess I could see that I mean I get what you're going like thanks guys I was thinking like is there a nice walk I could do no you gotta go see the prison like (laughs) I get it anyways continue sorry no I mean 
That was exactly my thinking. But I did. I bowed to peer pressure, and I um and I did go out there. And and it's not an active prison; it's a heritage listed prison. So there's no actual inmates. But it turns out at this prison, when there were inmates, what they had to do was their their part of their labour was they had to dig beneath the prison, dig these tunnels in order to create water as a water source for the prison and the labour for the township. And so I went down these. I did this tour where I went down these like terrifying tunnels straight vertical down like ladders I should say vertical ladders deep into the bowels of the earth and then I walked through some of these tunnels and then others just still partially submerged and I hopped in like a little canoe and I paddled through them and it was just this just this incredible experience and and hearing the stories of of the prisoners who tried to escape and and no no one who ever made it and all that sort of stuff and then I went back above ground and then that night I went back and I did a night tour which was it was ghost tour which was quite it was quite fun but I was too busy looking at like you know like there's the flogging post and the hangman's noose and and all the cell blocks and the exercise yard and Mm -hmm. everything kind of I missed all the actual ghosty scares, but that's okay because I'm a bit of a wuss, so it's probably for the best. But while I was there, just this entire place just really came to life in my mind, and and just the the feeling of of entrapment and and of of, of agony and that kind of the, like it's almost like the walls were bleeding emotion, and mm-hmm. and I felt that so much that it kind of my brain automatically synced back up to the story I'd heard six months earlier, and just that sense of injustice again, and. Um, and it was like something clicked in my head and thought, I need to write a book set in a prison. This is just, there's so, I want to evoke that kind of response in, in readers, you know. And um, and so on the plane back home, which was a five-hour flight, I started writing um, The Prison Healer. And, and at that time, there was no kind of magical, I wasn't quite sure of the magical aspect, but I did a lot of research and I, I started learning about, like I was looking up like, like ancient kind of torture and or like or trials or like judicial kind of systems and stuff and I learned about this thing mostly in England I think but probably everywhere but it's called the trial by ordeal and and in the prison healer there is the trial by ordeal which I've turned into four elemental magical tasks but in real life the trial by ordeal was like I mean, it's all kinds of things. So the trial by fire in real life was like kind of when they kind of tried to burn witches at the stake and the trial by water is when they would like put a stone around their ankle and try and drown them and, you know, choose their guilt or whatever. But there was also some really random trials like the trial by bread, which which didn't make my book. What? (laughs) Um, What do you like get flogged by slices? Like, what does that mean? Like. So it's ridiculous, and I mean, I probably shouldn't say it was ridiculous, but to me, as a as a as like a you know twenty first century person, it sounds ridiculous. And so what happened was people who were like priests or a religious clergy, kind of like you know the the holy men, if they were accused of a crime, they they you know they weren't burnt at the stake and they weren't sent to drown. They actually had to eat a piece of bread of the holy communion bread, and the the theory was that if they choked on the bread, then they were guilty. And so what? I thought it was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, but apparently the oh psychology behind it was if they were guilty, knowing that they were eating the Holy Communion bread kind of swole up their throat a bit and they had trouble swallowing because of the psychological or physiological aspect of it. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm unsure if it actually worked that way. That's a stretch. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, I'm not sure. I, yeah. I yeah. mean, I feel like if you're like a jerk and you're a liar and you're comfortable yeah. with it, you'd be like, uh, I, you know, murdering people would be like, nope, I'm good. I eat the bread. Like, what the yeah, heck? Free meal, sweet, thank you. And so, uh, for obvious reasons, trial by bread did not make it into the prison healer. <laughs> what um, a stupid name, too. <laughs> so silly. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just laughing. Trial by bread. <laughs> I know, I know. You should Google it sometime. It's ridiculous. Oh but you know, there was a number of them, and they kind of made me realize that you know, I would love to put a magical elemental spin on some of these things, and and kind of next level them up, I guess. And and that's that's all those things combined and and kind of merged into make this this story. Wow. And and elemental magic's always a good choice. Like it's like the best. That's my favorite. I love reading elemental magic because it can be manifested in so many different ways and how it's treated in stories is always different and interesting. So I mean you have either you have healing magic as well, but like, you know, what we see in the immediacy is the elemental magic and it's just, you know, it is fun to think about the the you know what's possible with that but wow that is a really interesting journey on how you got to the creation of the story and that I, I love that you had the ability almost immediately to 
try to capture how you felt because like you had your flight home and like like that's when it's fresh is when it's you know the the, 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 the your commotions are connected to that and you want to like creatively manifest that you know what I mean like um, so that yeah, makes, was, that's cool sorry I didn't mean to cut you off go ahead <laughs> no, no, that's, it was really crazy it was one of those stories that like like you know like the immediacy of it like you said like it just it burst out of me I ended up writing the whole book in 26 days so it just it just oh, it was kind of like a story that needed to be told from mm. like from within me and it just yeah it was really really intense but really crazy so yeah <laughs> so we have a couple of we have our main character Kiva which by the way my favorite coffee shop in the entire world is Kiva it's called Kiva Coffee House. Oh, it's cool. in southern it's in southern Utah in the middle of nowhere on a road on the scenic route through Utah and it's like against a red cliff canyon. Oh. It's and a Kiva is like a Native American house, so which is why um it's called that, I'm assuming. But when I I was like, Oh Kiva, cool. Like I'll never forget her name. Like I have a mug from there, like it's like my favorite coffee shop. So I think that's very cool. I was like, What a cool name. I'll have to one day visit. That would be that'd be really cool. It's very cool. It's very yeah, like if you're it's like in between two of the national parks in Southern Utah and you just are driving down a road and all of a sudden there's a friggin' coffee shop out of the middle of nowhere and you go, I'm sorry, what? Priorities are right there. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, it's a really cool place. No, but you have, so she's our main character and then we have these other, like you said, we have this boy who comes in as a prisoner who, you know, is around a lot. She's like, why are you here again? Like, which makes me laugh. She has her little assistant guy. She has this guard who actually has some humanity, isn't like a jerk like most of the other guards. We have the rebel queen who, you know, is out of it, but is still a presence. So there's a lot of side characters too, but like, you know, take us through like why you made them who they are. Like, why did you decide to make Kiva, you know, like, healing above all else like she's talks she talks about this multiple times in the book about like you know i'm a healer like it doesn't matter who you are if you need my help i'm gonna help you and you know which is interesting because it could mean it's the enemy it could mean it's someone who's trying to harm someone she loves you know what i mean and it's like why did you make that a trait that was important to her and 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 just kind of who she is as a person too she kind of you know she's smart but she's also she's got some snark in her you know she's really fun to read so i guess kind of why why did you make her shape her the way you did and and in our side characters too like why like did you feel like i need to have this character with this trait or do they just sort of evolve out of the storytelling yeah, so I'm really careful not to try and tick boxes when I write a book. I think you can always mm. tell if someone is trying to follow a checklist of what a character should be or shouldn't be or what a side character should have or shouldn't have or, you know, diversity for the sake of diversity I think is dangerous because it it can be unnatural and forced and, and I think I think it can read that way and then it can do yeah. more damage than good. So when it came uh, herself, I... You know, I was really, I was in a, a phase where I was trying to, you know, internally explore the concept of a strong female character and what that means. And, you know, previously I've had warriors in my books, you know, like I mentioned before, yeah. Alexandra Jennings is the main character of my Minoran Chronicles. And while she wasn't at all competent with fighting to begin with in the first book and even in the second book, and she had to learn and she had to you know, she had to learn how to be a fighter. She had to learn how to use weapons. She had to really build up that strength and, and, and you know, and the courage to be able to face an opponent. But she did, you know, eventually she was fighting in a war. And, and so she, as a strong female character, you know, yes, she, I hope, you know, I wrote into some mental fortitude and, and everything as well. But, and, you know, a lot of her strength came from her friends. But ultimately, she also was very physically strong as well. And my other main character in the Whisper series, uh, a different kind of strength, again, not not with physical weapons, but with words as weapons. The whole concept of the, the Whisper series is that, you know, your thoughts have power and your words have power and that therefore manifests in a physical way in that book, mm. that series. So I wanted to come into the prison healer um, looking at a female character from a different perspective. And and so I, I didn't want it to be a physical strength, but I wanted it to be an internal mental and emotional strength. And just to make things even more difficult, I wanted it to be from a character who has had 10 years of being in the worst place in existence and therefore has 
some horrific trust issues and and won't allow anyone into her life because she knows that, you know, if someone, if she even breaks down her walls for a single moment, you know, they're going to die soon. They're in a death prison. No one's going to survive. And so why would she make friends or why would she allow any kind of romantic entanglements? Why would she, you know, open her heart only for it to be hurt and so I wanted to have this as a character who who despite all of those things still managed to maintain her compassion and her humanity even in the worst of places and I just thought if I could create a character who was like that who had that kind of strength within her then that Mm. is something to be respected and something that is so incredibly powerful and also something that I think maybe some readers really need to read and um, because I, I would assume that most of us aren't about to pick up a sword or a bow and an arrow or a dagger, but we can, we can, we can exemplify. You know, we can we can live compassionately and we can we can live yeah. for other people. And and if we have that as an example to you know to go by, then I think that can be really encouraging. So that was kind of the basis for Kiva and how I wanted her to be and to grow. And I wanted her arc, her, her character arc, to kind of be about learning to trust people, and and you know that's going to be something that's it's not going to take just one book. That's going to take time, but thankfully there's you know there's a couple more books coming. But yeah. so with her, you know that was the baseline for her, and so I wanted to bring with the secondary characters. I wanted to bring in people who could help her to realize that that she had. I guess in a way been an island for too long and and that it's okay to trust people and it's okay mm. to let people in. And so they had to be people who had different personalities and different strengths. And so I think one of the most powerful characters in this series is actually like the 11-year-old yeah. boy. I like Tip. him a lot. He's really cool. He is just this little ray of sunshine that even in the absolute worst place, like he he never did anything to need, you know, to deserve to go into this this prison. He His mother was accused of stealing something and he wouldn't let her go when she was being carted away by the guards and so they took her, him with her. And she died soon after arriving, leaving him alone. And I think he was eight at the time and, see, and Kiva kind of, you know, while she never really allowed herself to, to I guess, feel a huge amount of affection for him outwardly because she thought he would die as like everyone else. She still cared about him probably more than anyone else. And he, he's kind of the character who just, you know, he'll befriend guards who he shouldn't befriend and he'll, he'll be, he'll play pranks and jokes on other people who he shouldn't do because all of this could end up with him killed. And, and so he just unintentionally, but also deliberately just chips away at her armor, you know, and, and then there's the, the romantic love interest who comes into it as a new prisoner and he, you know, he sees something in Kiva and he he's very persistent and he, he's just kind of always there and she's just waiting for him to die and she's, you know, she's <laughs> like... Just, it makes me yeah. laugh. It made me laugh. At one point she was like, oh, why are you here? And he's like, you're always saying that to me. And it made me laugh because I was like, she's just like always eternally like, and there he is again. Like, why is he here again? What is happening? I thought you'd be dead by now. And he's like, thanks, man. Like, it made, yeah. me, it made me laugh. It did. It made me oh, laugh. I mean, that's the reality of it. He, he's he's allocated to the worst kind of labor in that prison. And so, you know, he should be, he, it's, it's against the odds that he keeps surviving. And he just keeps popping up. And she's like, why aren't you in the morgue? Like, why? I did not expect to see you alive again. And, uh, and it's like he's almost staying alive just to spite her. Um, <laughs> and um, and so there's all these characters that kind of, you know, all of them are, are I guess, plot devices in a sense to help um, highlight Kiva and to, to help her on her growth journey. But they also have their own little growth journeys as well. So I can't even remember your original question now, but I think they, you know, a lot of them I didn't necessarily sit down beforehand and and you know, give them all the attributes I wanted them to have. I think they grew and they evolved and they developed as I got to know them as we went along and as Kiva got to know them too. Well, that was really the question was why are they the way they are if it was organic or if it was like, like, and it sounds like it was sort of both. I I mean, basically you wanted characters around her that balanced her weaknesses in a sense and like challenged her, her limiting beliefs. And I mean, frankly, I would probably be exactly the same way if I was in a death prison and everyone around me kept dying. I would, my walls would be so thick because to feel, to care means to be hurt, you know? And so it's like, you can only do that for so long before you're just numb inside. So, or, you know, the only way to survive emotionally is to, you have to distance yourself. So I, you know, I, I love that there are characters that chip away at that for her. And it's interesting to see the evolution of their, 
you know, all the relationships and the inner mingling of the relationships and, and how they all work together. So it was really, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to, to see how they balance her. Cause she is a, like you said, she's strong, but in a different way. It's not, it's like mental fortitude, but it's also out of a survival instinct. And it's not like this intrinsic hero-ness of her, you know, it's just her being in this horrible situation and having to find a way to, to make it. So yeah, it's really, they're, it's, they're really interesting and very vivid. The characters are very vivid in my mind. Like they're, there's enough, you know, distinctness about each of them that I can see them all. And yeah, it was just made for a really fun reading experience for sure. Oh, thank um, you. You're welcome. What's waiting for us in book two? I mean, without doing any major spoilers for those who haven't read, or we, you said that uh, she has to lift a sword in book two, so that's coming. Anything else Very you can tell us? <laughs> now, you said book two is coming out later this year, too, so it's actually pretty close, like, publication releases. Yeah, it's all done. It comes out in October. So it was, um, so there's only... It's a six-month release between these two books, which we thought is is a nice thing to do given the way that the first book ends. You don't have to wait too long Mm -hmm. for the next book and find out different answers Uh, and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, which makes it easier on me as the author because I've already, you know, it's only been out in the US and the UK for a week and I've had to field so many people saying, I know the next book now. Oh, my God. I know. I'm sitting here going like, I clearly need to call your publicist to be like, dude, is there like digital arcs now? Can I just like, can you help me out, man? Like, <laughs> I, I have seen some, there have been, I think there are some digital arcs floating around on like Neck Valley, Neck Alley and Edelweiss. So I don't know. I'm not sure how it works, but I'm, I have had. <laughs> Good to people. know. I yeah. will check it out. Thank you very much. Yeah. Cliffhangers are rough. Like, especially when it's like interesting and weird reveals at the end of a book. You're just like, I'm sorry, what just happened? And yeah. now I have to wait. I'm sorry. What are you doing to me? Like, I just I mean, read, I just yeah. read another book that had like reveals. It had reveals in the beginning. It had reveals in the middle and it had more reveals at the end. And I was like, this book was crazy. And I seriously, when I was done, I was like, what did I just read? Like, so it, it's just like, it's like an emotional hangover. It really is. Um, but I mean, they're the books that keep you reading and make you want the next book though, right? Like, cause you need to have answers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're emotionally invested in the characters and then crazy stuff happens. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. So readers don't have to wait very long. Yeah. Is there anything you can tell us about book two or the, is it just more of the, the characters we love and the world is kind of evolving and yeah, I guess yeah. it's hard to kind of I mean, talk about it without spoiling too much. Yeah. I don't want to spoil it. I will say that the, I mean, the stakes in the first book are incredibly high, but the stakes in the second book are even higher. There's also a lot more political development with the second book. And there's mm. a lot, a lot more of an emotional arc for, I guess, for a lot of the characters, because you kind of get to know them in the first book. I mean, the first book is a first book right a first book of any series you're just you're getting to know the characters and you're getting to know the world and you're getting to know their place in it but this by the second book you know them well enough that you can go deeper and you can go into the the gritty the 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 you know the really kind of heart-wrenching parts of their lives and you can kind of uncover things from the past and also deal with stuff in the present and so I, I really I really took my characters on quite the roller coaster in the second book there um yeah it's it's I yeah I really I mean I'm not supposed to have favorites and just, just purely because you know how he's supposed to pick you know when when you know all that stuff but I I can very quite easily say that the Gilded Cage is probably it's the book I'm most proud of that I've ever written mm. and it um, took a lot of hard work and I had some really incredible editors help me guide it to where it was where it ended up being which which is better than I could have even you know like imagined going into it and so um so I'm really really happy with it I'm really I'm really excited for people to read it and I just I kind of want October to hurry up and get here so I can it's weird but I kind of want to like fangirl about it with other people as if I hadn't written it <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's a good have, like that's a good way to be though that sounds wonderful yeah are you are you working on anything else at the moment? I no, at the moment I'm purely working on this series. I have a couple of other things in the background that I'm not allowed to talk about, but at the moment this series has my focus and and so after I'm in the middle of like release tour kind of um, events and media and everything. And so once the end of April and all these kind of immediate events 
kind of end, I am diving straight into drafting of book three. So in about a week and a half, I enter that my writing hobbit hole and I get to <laughs> punch that one out. And so once that's done, um, that's when we'll shift focus onto something different. So yeah, exciting times. So that's good. At least the, you know, the series is very fresh in your mind too, because you're talking about book one, book two's done and already out. And now you're going to be starting book three. So at least it's all like relevant to now, like you're, yeah. you know, keeping it in the forefront, which is good. Before we go, I always like to ask authors if they've read anything good lately. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be sci-fi fantasy. I know my re uh, listeners read across the board, but either way, I'm just curious if there's any books you've read that you'd recommend. Ooh, I have, I have actually read some pretty good books lately and over a wide range of genres. So I read, I read, um, oh, okay, my brain is now. Okay, so I read a middle grade um, fantasy called Amari and the Night Brothers by B.B. Olsen, which was delightful. It was kind of like... Harry Potter meets Men in Black, and I know that sounds absolutely bizarre, but if you <laughs> that sounds it, awesome, I don't yeah. know what that is, but that sounds great. Yeah, you will totally get the Men in Black references when you read it. I don't even know. You just, it's just, it's not about aliens at all. It's this, it's a really great middle grade fantasy. I also read Law by Alexander Bracken, and I really enjoyed that. Um, mm. I've been reading some fantasy, uh, sorry, some romance books lately. So I read Sally Thorne's newest book, Second First Impressions, the other day, and that was that was really sweet. Was it and good? I I've read her other stuff yeah I um yeah she it's really funny there's usually like okay so I found it really interesting because it, the the male lead in it is something who I think if I'd met him in real life he would just have annoyed the absolute stuffing out of me because he's he's like a man child but oh, and there's you know there's nothing really all that to me appealing about someone who's that immature and kind of doesn't grow up but the protagonist is like the complete opposite. And so the two of them balance out really, really well. And he is admittedly, despite him being like immature in like a sweet, goofy kind of way, he's just such a lovable character. Like you can't not actually find him adorable. So I really, I really did. It's probably one of my favorite of her books. Hmm. Yeah. So I did, I did enjoy that, but if, but probably my favorite romance read of the year so far, and I haven't, I've only read like I know three or four, so it's not, you know, I'm still like, it's a big call. But I read Samantha Young's Much Ado About You about a week ago, and that was about a main character who goes to, I think, Scotland, and she kind of, I don't want to say rents a bookstore, but she kind of does like a house sit for a bookstore, and she ends up working in the bookstore in this little fishing village in, in Scotland, and she's kind of sworn off men because she's had these horrible dates. And anyway, everything about it was just lovely, and because it, you know, it was set in a bookstore, it kind of all those kind of like reader parts of me and it was a really nice friends to like like friends and like you know friends and very strongly friends because she's not going to go there with any man you know she's just like I'm just I'm swearing I just want nothing to do with them from what you know so but then friends to lovers it was a really it was a really nice romance so yeah <laughs> I've read I read her on Dublin Street the first of her old her Dublin books so I, I like that a lot. Yeah. So it's interesting to that sounds like a fun premise too. just the premise of someone like switching and being like a bookstore owner in Scotland. That sounds really yeah, was, fun. Yeah, It was almost like the holiday, but without the Christmas yeah. element and without swapping with someone else and, and like the actual bookstore owner just, you know, she just needs extra cash. And so she lives in the village as well, but then she goes and visits her sister in Australia or I, don't know, I think it's Australia, but another country. And anyway, it doesn't, it's only, you know, I know it was just a really nice character driven, like I could see it as a rom-com kind of thing. And it was just, you know, when you just are in the mood for a really easy, nice read mm -hmm. where there's a lot of really amazing tension between the two characters because they're clearly very attracted to each other, but she's also very firm about not, you know, going past that friend line because she's had, you know, she's still got to build back her confidence from having this slew of horrible dates and everything. Anyway, it's just, yeah, it was a really nice read. So that was, if you like romance books then or contemporary romance, I should say, then that's, I would add that to your list. Yep. I'm already looking at it right now on Goodreads <laughs> as we're talking. I'm like, well, those are both good. I mean, I had Sally's on my list already. I love, I, especially this past year, I've really leaned into more contemporary romances and just, I feel like they're just the, the emotional hug we need this year, you know, um, like. Uh, just, I have definitely <sighs> been the same. I don't think I've ever read as many contemporary romance books as I have in the last year, the year and a half, you know, just because I think it's because you know that you know, especially if it's a standalone and even, I mean, most romances are, you know that you, you know, you know that you're going to get 
the nice ending. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as much as I love fantasy books, and I do, and especially YA fantasy, if it's the first in the series, you kind of know that it's going to probably end on a cliffhanger yep. and you're going to get yep. an answer. So, yep. yeah, the romance <laughs> books. So One you, and done. Can, it's great. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, so it's like you you completely hit the nail on the head when you said it's like a hug. It really is. And I think we all need the hugging at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I just read I read one that my friend was obsessed with. It came out a couple years ago and it was like really popular. Forever Wild, I think it's called. Oh, The Simple Wild is the first. Oh, K.A. Tucker. I love yeah. that book. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a great one. Yeah, set in Alaska. Yeah, I, I just read, I have a friend who, a local, another bookstagrammer who lives locally to me who posted about it and was like raving about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this book was really fun. It was such a like, you know, like small bush pilot in Alaska, rugged, like hot guy. I was like, all right, this is fun. Like, it was just like such yeah. an escape. It's like, you know, just, yeah, there was a lot yeah, of good heart and emotion. I read it last year because a lot of people had recommended it to me. And mm-hmm. and it was one of those ones where, you know, when you're just not in a big reading mood. So I struggled to get into it, but I pushed through it because of how many Same. people said really good and and I, I think it was like a quarter through or halfway through that it really when I realized that it had me hooked but until that mm-hmm. point I was like I could put this down but then once I was hooked I was like this is amazing I love it so I'm really glad I pushed through it <laughs> it actually reminded me one of my favorite uh reads in the most in the recent past is was beach read have you read beach read Oh, yeah. I loved that one. Yeah, I loved Beach Read. And it has that similar feel where like, it sounds like it's going to be funny on surface level, sort of, but like, there's actually like, so much more depth and heart to the story. Yeah. And like, they just leave you feeling things, even though it's also really good romance. And it is funny. There's just like a lot of heart. And there's just yeah, there's just some these books, man, they're just and I'm with you. Like I 90% 90% of what I read is fantasy, like seriously, but I just sometimes want a fun love story to get lost in and just like a meet cute and like, you know, and the snar- sn- snarky the- people or awkward people or yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, uh, it's all about the banter. <laughs> Actually, so- have you read You Deserve Each Other? You know, I have not read that one and I have had it highly recommended to me. And I think my resistance is the idea of like, we were already married and now we have to fall back in love. Like, it's not like strangers to lovers. It's like lovers who are now strangers, like, sort of, and have to become friends again. And now they're lovers again. Like, something about it just, it's like, oh, that doesn't sound as fun. I don't know why, because everyone's is hilarious and it's really good. So... I don't know so what my I mental block is with that book. I completely relate to everything you're saying. And I was very firm on that. This does not appeal to me at all. Like, cause you know, you want the meet cute. You want them to not know each other. Yes. All that stuff. But you know, I don't know if you like, I can't like, it just, it's just so good. And it's so awful. Like, because they just, they, I was actually talking to a friend about it today. And, and it's purely because, you know, the whole premise is it's these two people who are, you know, they've been together for so long that they hadn't realized that they actually despise each other. And <laughs> and they're coming up to a wedding that they're about to have and neither of them wants to be the one to cancel it because it's an expensive wedding or something and or like family stuff or what. I don't remember the reasons, but they decide that to try and make the other person hate them enough that the other person like oh will cancel the wedding, but neither of them are aware that they're both doing this. And it, it actually kind of <laughs> reverts to a complete enemies to lovers kind of thing. And it's mm. so, even though they know each other, it's like they don't. And they're suddenly actually know it, getting to know the real them. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It also, I will warn you, I think it was another one of those kind of like the simple wild. It took me a few chapters to kind of get into the groove of it. But that also could be because I was trying to get past that. I don't like that they know each other That's, already. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many books to read and I'm just like, I don't, I just, you know, am I going to force myself to read a premise that I'm fighting against, even though everyone says it's good? But you know what? I have those books. There are books that I didn't read for years and I still kick myself that I didn't read them earlier. You know, like, like, I'm like, why have you been on my life? Everyone's been telling me to read you. Like Sabriel, like Garth Nix's books were like that for me for the longest time. And I didn't have any reason not to read them. It was just like, oh, that series has been out a while. I'm reading other things I've got. And when I finally read it, I was like, this is the best ever. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? So I'll probably read it and be like, this is great. 
Oh, that's funny you say that because Sabriel is one of those books on my list to read and it has been for years. Oh <laughs> like, it's, you know, dude, there's, there's some of them that, you know, like, like Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, you know, it's been on my list. And like, and I haven't read that either. I've read other Brandon books, but also same. Like there's some that are like the iconic. Yeah, I get it. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't know if you're an audiobook person. Uh, um, I am. Yes. So Sabriel, that series, the Old Kingdom books are narrated by Tim Curry, the actor. Oh, Okay. And they're freaking fantastic. There is a character. So I did a, I did a, I did a charity calendar for two different years where I photographed fantasy authors and like I, I'm a photographer, so I put them in like fantasy costumes and took their picture, and then the proceeds from these went to charity. And Garth was in my second one, and we were talking, and I had I had read them on audio, and there is this character in the books called Mogget. Mogget is a cat, and he. He's he's another character, but he's like in the body of a cat and he talks and he's really snarky. And you just imagine Tim Curry's voice with this like cynical cat voice. Right. And it's it's fantastic. And I was telling Garth how much I enjoyed it. He's like, he is Mogget. Like that is Mogget. Like when I imagined his how he sounded, what he did, like he nailed it. So it's like it's just so fun to listen to those that. Oh, I I. I, they're fun to read, but I would highly recommend them on audio. Like, highly, yeah. highly recommend them on audio. So, I'll into that, I have a few credits available. The last, um, it's been a while since I listened to an audiobook, but I listened to the Red Rising, Pierce Brown's Red Rising trilogy on audiobook, and um, mm. just the first three books, and and it was fantastic. Yeah, just the way See, I haven't read those. I've, I, oh, I, uh, but I have friends again who love those, obsessed yeah. with those. It was, Somehow. it was, they are. They are they are gritty. Like they are like you feel like like you feel everything happens tangibly in them. They're they're quite you know they're dark and heavy. But I I've just absolutely devoured those. So highly recommend as you know as every other billion book you have on your TBR. I'm sure. Oh, I mean it's well, and I'm really lucky. Like having interviewed so many people for so many years now, like I can kind of cultivate my list and like you know. Because I, I read the books that I'm, of the authors I'm interviewing. So very rarely do I get requested to interview or read a book. So at least I'm able to like sort of choose, which is hard because when you read, you know, you, you do have to limit your personal reading, I guess, even though te- if that makes sense, even though I'm doing this personally, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. It, it, it is it is good that I get to at least select the books that I want to read. But yes, it's it's overwhelming. That it actually causes me anxiety when I think I'm like every Tuesday, dozens of books come out, and I will never know any of them. And I will never like I always miss books. And it just like causes me stress because I'm like, I will never read all the books. Yeah, <laughs> it just makes, makes it me sad. Good. And then and then it's hard because often the ones you see are the ones that you know you know have a lot of marketing behind them and they're the ones that people want you to see and that makes you think well what about all the ones that I'm not seeing that maybe don't have as big of a budget behind them and might be some of the best books in existence and I don't even know they exist so it's yeah difficult yeah. <laughs> I know then that's it's just we have to resign ourselves well I'm like that's something I've come to grips with too as I'm getting older is like not f- allowing myself to not finish a book if I'm not emotionally connected to it. It's like, yeah, life is too absolutely. short, man. Like, and that but- rarely happens. I'm actually a pretty easy critic with books. Like, I, I don't know if it's just my years of interviewing. Like, when I was starting out and I didn't have as much of a choice. I mean, you, you always have some choice. But, you know, if I, I'd be like, there's a book that maybe I would give three stars to. Every book has a redeeming quality. Even if I personally don't like the book, there's still good things about it. So I can always find good things to talk about. You know what I mean? So I don't know if that just makes me an easy critic for books, but I, I, you know, generally enjoy the books I read. So I don't often stop. And I love to reread, which is half of my problem, which I'll, I'll never <laughs> get through all the books. I love rereading books. Like I do it all the time. So yeah, it's like, you know, familiar. Talk about a hug. It's like, oh, I just want to. I want to talk to those guys again. <laughs> like, I'm like, I want to feel how they made me feel last time, you know? So. I mean, it's like, you know, so much of, especially in the last year and a half, aside from reading a lot more romance books than normal, I've also reread a lot more books than I would normally reread mm-hmm. because you know what you're getting. And again, it's the mm-hmm. comfort thing of it. You know, you know, you know that you love it for a reason. And so it's sinking back into a familiar world with familiar characters. And it's just, it feels like it's, it's going to help soothe the balm of everything that's happening in the outside yep. world. Yep. 
Seriously. Seriously, yeah. that is absolutely true. I mean, I can't use COVID as an excuse because I've been rereading for years. But it actually made me laugh when you were started out about like when you were talking about the like illness in the prison. You're like, I didn't I didn't do it. But I wrote it before COVID, guys. I read yeah. I, I was interviewing <laughs> Marissa Meyer last year, right early earlier in the year. And I, I hadn't reread the Sin- the Lunar Chronicles since I'd read them. And so I was like, you know, I want to reread these just so they're fresh in my mind because we're talking because they had like gotten a new cover. And that's kind of what we were one of the things we were talking about. So I don't know. Have you read those like Cinder? Have you read those? Yeah, I have. <laughs> well, I don't know if you remember from the first book, like one of the first scenes in the first book is like there's, you know, there's a horrible plague that happens in those books. And the first scene is Cinder's like in a in a her market like has her little table with where she repairs stuff and all of a sudden like the baker across who makes her the buns all of a sudden plague and then people come in and like burn it down and like people are running oh, and screaming yeah, I yeah. and i had so much anxiety because it was like at the beginning of covid and no one knew what it was doing or how it was happening or how it was anything i actually yeah. had to stop reading that book because i was doing it on audio too so it was like way more vivid i had to yeah. stop reading that book for like a week or two and i was just like it cost me like legitimate like trauma like because of what was happening in the world i was like i can't read about a plague right now i just can't we're all gonna burn down everyone has, everyone's house is gonna have a big x on it or whatever you know like it just emotionally was too much it's tricky do you know um have you heard of jessica townsend who wrote the nevermore series yes i have yeah. i haven't read those but i do know who she is yeah, so so Jess and I, we both live like really close to each other, and and so we catch up all the time, and and which is rare because most people, most authors in Australia, kind of live in the cities, like they live in Melbourne or they live in Sydney, and we live on the Sunshine Coast, which is just kind of this little coastal community in the east coast of Australia, and it just so happens that we both live here, but we we kind of with both her third book is called hollow pox and just as the prison healer had kind of so coming to the end of 2019 and into very early 2020 the prison healer had sold we had a release date and she'd come she had a release date for hollow pox and we were both walking on the beach and she kind of looked at me and she's like so my third book's about a plague and i looked at her and i'm like yeah there's one in mine too and we both kind of just like looked at each other and we're like oh <laughs> and because that was kind of when like the world was starting to shut down and then we were both like, it'll be fine by the time, you know, our books come out. You yeah, know? Right. And, yeah. and Cause hers was due out, I think in November, um, like as in a few months ago, in November. And so this was probably about February last year, February, March, we were talking about it. And so we thought by November it'd be fine. And mine Absolutely. Was kind of April and, but yeah. that kind of anxiety stayed with us and we're like, this is terrible timing. And yeah, it's, it's one of those things you just can't plan for. And, and you know that it's, you know, it's, it's done it's in the books and you just got to hope that readers will be able to, I don't know, handle yeah. it. Well, and I, I like even just what you were saying about releases, like I, I interviewed Alison Saft, her book Dawn Comes the Night just came out and she was just talking about like, I was asking her what it was like to be debut in 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 the pandemic and she's like it is weird and it's not what you think it's going to be and there's pros and cons to everything but like you know when this all happened a year ago she's like this won't be happening when i'm deba- debuting in a year like i'll be good like you know of course we won't be remember when it when i don't know if it happened in australia but when it locked down it was like two weeks man everybody has to lock down for two weeks and here we are a year later <laughs> like yeah. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. Uh, this was really fun, Lynette. I'm so glad we got to do this and talk about the new book. Yes, thank you. It was awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. Stay tuned next week for another interview. If you want to support us, you can check us out on Patreon. It's Ink Feather Books. But for now, this is Lauren and Lynette signing out. Bye. 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 <laughs>